All right, good morning, 11 o'clock. All right, you're not on vacation, right? You're present, not like everybody else. So, okay, whatever. Um, all right, we, we are beginning a new series called The Great Invitation. Uh, and, and just as a, uh, maybe just as a, a disclaimer, this is almost like a prequel to our upcoming series that we are beginning in, in September as we walk through the Gospel of Mark. Um, usually, uh, most of our series here at Grace are like four, maybe six weeks long. Uh, we are doing something really bold and audacious uh, uh, beginning this fall, something that actually we've never done here before. We're going to probably spend like six semesters walking through the Gospel of Mark. Um, that said, this is kind of a prequel to all of that. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Just, just maybe understand this as kind of like the equivalent of like the Hobbit before we start the Lord of the Rings uh, this fall. So uh, uh, today, we're going to start off with a sermon called The Bargain of a Lifetime, okay? And hopefully by the end, you'll understand why we talk about this. But we want to look at the nature of the call to follow Jesus Christ, right? When Christ calls us to follow him, what is it that he is actually calling us to do, right? Because we're going to see throughout this message and throughout the series that it is possible to be a Christian and not follow Christ, It is possible to receive his atoning sacrifice in your life, your ticket to heaven, if you will, and then sit contentedly in your chairs and do absolutely nothing. That is, just waste your life away in pursuit of lesser things that he's called us to. Right? The great invitation is much more than just getting your ticket to heaven. It is much more than just uh, being a, a spectator on a Sunday morning. It is more than just being good and going to church. The great invitation is something far better and so much more than that. So we're going to start off this morning by looking at the scriptures. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, if you would uh, open your Bibles, uh, if you don't have your, uh, your Bible with you, you could grab the Bible that's in front of your chair. Turn to page 809, where we're going to read from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. And this is a story of Jesus calling his first disciples to himself. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. Follow along as I read from the English Standard Version, which is the version of the Bible in front of your chairs. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here ends the reading of God's word. Now, we want to talk about what it takes as we read that story. What does it take to get to that point in our lives where we, like the disciples, are willing to leave things and follow Jesus. Because every time I read that passage, I think, well, you know, I haven't left everything. I mean, I've trusted in Christ's finished work on the cross. Uh, I, I try to follow him and 
truth be told, I try to keep everything uh, all at the same time. And I think, man, you know, what cost have I paid, really, in following Jesus? And every time I read that passage, there's a part of me that cries out, man, I want to be like that. I want to come to the place where I love God that much. And I'm willing to set aside everything that weighs me down in order to follow Jesus. And so what we want to do is kind of look at the disciples and just understand what they knew, what, what they saw, what, what they understood that allowed them to, if you remember in the text, it said they immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their father and followed Jesus. These disciples understood a few things that I think we in the 21st century often miss altogether that I want to draw your attention to this morning. So three things in particular that I see that the first century disciples knew, saw, and understand that we often miss today. So if you're taking notes, the, the first thing that I, I want to point out is, is the fact that they just, they knew who Jesus was. This was not the first time they had met Jesus. They had known of him. They had uh, been around him. But they knew who Jesus was. And so when he called them to follow, that, follow him, uh, they, they knew the gravity of that call. Now, we may say, well, uh, I mean, I know who Jesus is too. I mean, I come to church, I'm a Christian. But I would suggest to you that a lot of us know a lot about Jesus. But I'm not sure how much we personally know Jesus himself. Right? Maybe we need to ask that question, how intimately and personally do you really know Jesus and not just know about him? Because have you noticed there's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody? So when I was dating my beautiful wife years and years ago, I thought I was getting to know her when in reality I was just simply accumulating information about her, right? And so we'd get together, we'd hang out and talk and be like, hey, what do you like to do? You know, uh, what are your parents like? You know, what's your family like? And I learned a lot of facts about her. And then I married her. And then realized that, me, you know, knowing a lot about her uh, was wonderful. But that is not the same as really knowing her. And all of a sudden, when you eat and sleep and when you work and play and clean and live life together, all the information in the world cannot contain what it is that you experience when you are in a relationship with somebody. And so again, there's a difference between knowing about somebody, information, and personally knowing them, which is a relationship. And that is true with Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, many people in churches today are, uh, I mean, churches are populated with people who know a lot about Jesus. They know the right answers, right? And what's often the right answer in church, right? Jesus, right? Uh, even like, I don't know if you heard this story, but the a Sunday school teacher asks uh, their Sunday school class, hey, what's brown and gathers nuts uh, for the winter? Uh, and, um, and the boy raises his hand, Jesus, right? Uh, no, it's a squirrel, but right. Uh, but so you may know the right answers. Uh, you may believe the right doctrines. You may not at the right times during the sermons. You may know the right words to say. You know the right songs to sing, all of that. But it is still possible to do all of those things and still not follow Jesus Christ. I mean, I know this because that was my life for a long time. I went to church. I was a good religious kid. My dad was a pastor. I won the Bible memory contests and all, all that kind of stuff. 
But again, to reiterate, it is possible to lose Christ right in the middle of Christianity. Right? Have you lost Christ in the middle of your Christian life? See, this is what Jesus was calling his first disciples to. This is what he was inviting these men to do, was to be in a relationship with him. So he didn't say, follow my religion. He doesn't even say, follow my teachings. What, what did he say in the passage that we read? He said, follow, follow me. In other words, I don't want you just to know about me. I want you to know me. And this is the great invitation But in the church today, can I say this? We have so tamed the person of Jesus Christ, right? Do you know one of the the biggest objections that I hear from young people who don't go to church about why they don't go to church? I mean, there's a number of reasons, but one of the big reasons is because it's boring. And man, and I just think, man, for crying out loud, Jesus was a lot of things, but he was never, ever boring, I mean, right, we, Jesus was not somebody who was safe. He was wild and untamed. Right? They, they don't crucify safe, boring people. You don't go crucifying Mr. Rogers, right? You crucify revolutionaries. And so this is Jesus, and yet we come here kind of half-hearted, kind of apathetic, kind of whatever. We come here and sing our songs, and some of, some of us don't even do that. You know the songs, you've heard these songs, but you're just way comfortable sipping your coffee or whatever. And you're like, no, it's too uncomfortable for me to, to sing these songs. Sometimes I see like young couples in the back, like all over each other and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, come on. Like, do you know who Jesus is? Or do you just know about him? Right? I mean, so often we just, we just don't even act like God is here sometimes. And it's no wonder because I think sometimes we just don't get it. We think we, under, we know Jesus because we know a lot about him. But I don't know if we really do know him. These first disciples did. Not perfectly, but they knew enough that uh, that caused them to drop everything and to want to be with Jesus. And not only to be with Jesus, but that was greater than anything else that they could ever want or, or, or do. Right? So they really knew who Jesus was. And I think the challenge for us is to really ask ourselves, do we know Jesus in that kind of way? Second, the other thing that I see is, is this. Uh, number two, they understood the call of Jesus on their lives. And I think the call of Jesus here in this text is broken down into two parts. The first part is uh, when Jesus says, come, follow me. So Jesus calls them to follow him. So this isn't just an invitation to like, hey, observe my life or analyze my teachings. Jesus was offering them the opportunity to be his disciple, which was an invitation to actually become like Jesus, just like a carbon copy, a little Jesus, right? Uh, Now, discipleship is a word that we throw around a lot, disciple, discipleship. And, And you say that enough and you start to, you get to a point where you're like, what does that even mean? Well, you have to understand uh, that we are all somebody's disciple, right? That is, we have all learned from somebody how to live and love, how to work and play. We, from watching and, and learning from somebody, we are somebody's disciple. And so to be a disciple simply means to be a learner, an apprentice, or a trainee. So some examples of discipleship. You go to a restaurant, and the, and the waitress, waiter or waitress comes to you, and uh, they, they have that new trainee next to them. Has that ever happened to you? Right? That is discipleship. Right? Another example of discipleship. 
Luke Skywalker, who was his uh, discipler? Yoda, right? Yoda was discipling Luke Skywalker, and Luke was his apprentice. And this is everywhere. Look, if you want to learn how to play football, right, who do you ask to, to coach you? Jim Harbaugh, yes. Right, if you want to learn how to sing, who do you take lessons from? <laughs> Kayla Piper, right, yes. If you want to learn to do home repair and maintenance, who do you hang around? I don't know, but not me, right? Yeah, so if you want to learn to do something, uh, you spend time with a person who knows how to do it. And that's the point. Right? If you want to learn to live the life of the kingdom of God, which is the best and most fulfilling way to live, outlined by Jesus, you have to spend time with Jesus. And so this was the first part of his call. It was, follow me. Right? And God, and God makes, makes provision for us in this. He gives us his word. And he gives us his Holy Spirit that resides in us if you're a follower of Jesus. And the combination of his word and his spirit, uh, those are two things that will ensure that if you are attentive to God, that he will train you, he will disciple you, he will shape you and mold you to become more like his son, Jesus. And so that's one thing that the first disciples really understood, was they were to be learners, imitators, and apprentices of Jesus. And this is so, so important. Can I say this? Your discipleship to Jesus is not a matter of learning how to be religious. Okay? In fact, your discipleship to Jesus is a matter of uh, learning to do all the things you've always done, but to do them differently. To do them in his name, to do them on his behalf, to do all things for his honor and his glory. That is what discipleship is about. So you don't have to go to some monastery or some be a pastor or a missionary to, to be discipled or, or to be a disciple. You just do all the things that you normally do. And that's why Paul says later on, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. You realize how mundane that command is? How mundane is eating or drinking? I mean, Paul might as well have said, when you go to the bathroom or, or take a shower, whether, you, uh, do, whether you're doing the dishes or mowing the lawn, do it all for the glory of God. Do all the things that you do normally, but do them differently. Do it for a higher purpose, a nobler motive, right? I, I guess you could even play Pokemon for the glory. <laughs> is that possible, Right? Last Sunday, seriously, last Sunday I'm driving out to cultivate and I see some people in this group right here, this front row, right, walking along the sidewalk and I'm like, oh, I'm like rolling my eyes, like, oh goodness. I actually stopped in the middle of the road, rolled down my window, yes, I have an old car that goes like this, right, and I shouted something out, I can't remember, and what did Nick say? I'm like, oh, you Pokemon people, you're right, complaining. And, and Nick, one of, the, one of the guys, oh, Nick, what'd you, what'd you say? No, you didn't. You said, hey, it's all for Jesus, right? I, like, I was like shaking my head like, oh, gosh, like, oh. But honestly, yeah, I guess it's possible, right? <laughs> but eating and drinking, sleeping, going to the bathroom, showering. Do it. So there is a way to eat that brings honor and glory to God. There is a way to drink. There is a way to play. There is a way to have fun. There is a way to work. There is a way to do all. There is a way to date in a way that brings glory and honor to God. And our apprenticeship to Christ simply means a matter of learning what we already do and, and just figuring out what that looks like in our life. 
And this is huge because growing up, I always thought that uh, discipleship meant that I had to learn how to be religious. I, I thought going to church was about, like, this is, how you, this is how you should pray. This is how you should sing. This is how you should talk. But that's not it at all. I mean, you may sing, pray, and talk a certain way, but that's not what Jesus means when he says, follow me. Really, he's, that means I am learning to live my life with my friends and my family, working my job or taking my classes, doing all those things as if Jesus were living my life himself. That's all discipleship means. So that was the first part of the call was, look, follow me. Simply imitate and be an apprentice of mine. Right? That was the first part of the call. The second part of the call, right? they understood the call of Jesus on their lives. After he says, follow me, what does he say from the text? And fisher, yeah, something about fishing. And I will make you fishers of men. Right? So follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus is saying your job is to follow me. My job is to make you into fishers of men. In other words, those two things cannot be separated. It is one and the same call. In other words, it is impossible to follow Jesus and not become a fisher of men and women. Right? Uh, and, and don't get stuck on the whole fishing metaphor. He, Jesus says this because he was talking to fishermen. So if Jesus were here today he would, and he was talking to business people, he would say this, Come, follow me, and I will make you investors of men and women. If he were talking to construction workers, he would say, come, follow me, and I will make you builders of men and women. If he's talking to architects, come, follow me, and I will make you developers and designers of men and women. If you're a nurse or doctor, come, follow me, and I will make you healers of men and women. And go on and on. It doesn't matter how you say it. The point is this. It is impossible to follow Jesus and not become an agent of transformation. Right? Let me say this, the whole point of the Christian life, unlike most church people think it is, the whole point of the Christian life isn't for us, for you to come here on Sundays and for us to feed you. That is not the point, right? Uh, some of us are like, we just consume and consume, you listen to podcasts all week and, and, and you don't, you don't want to exercise your faith, you don't want to feed into others, and you just consume and consume, you come here, oh, I don't get fed, and you're like spiritually obese, you know what? Only infants need to be fed by other people. Only little infants, biologically, right? And so some of you are like spiritually, literally, like big fat babies. <laughs> Can I say that? Even little children. I don't know at what age. My kids are too old to remember. But even little children at some point begin to learn to feed themselves. Shoot, my kids, they're, they're 9 and 11. About every week. They actually make and prepare dinner for Amy and I. Even, I mean, they're not even teenagers, and they're feeding us. Right, so what does that mean for us as a, as a Christian? It is impossible to follow Jesus and just sit there and just consume and consume. You need to become a fisher of men and women. You need to be feeding into others. Who are you discipling? Who are you investing into? Who are you building up? The point of the Christian life is not just to be fed. It is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and to make you a participant in this incredible work of redemption that is happening in the kingdom of God. 
That is the whole point. And so the call of God is come, follow me, be just like me, be mentored by me, and then come, and then I will make you fishers of men. If you sit here and you're like, yeah, you know, God feels far away, I feel disconnected, you know what? It's probably because you are not following Jesus and becoming a fisher of men and women. So this is, one, this is another thing that they understood. They knew who Jesus was. They understood the call of God on their lives. And lastly, this is what I'll end with. They had clarity about what I'll call the bargain that Christ was offering them. They understood that they could not be fishers of men and fishing, fishers of other things at the same time. Right? Jesus said it a different way. He said, uh, you, no one can serve two masters. You will either uh, love the one and hate the, uh, you will love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus uses money as an example, but we could put anything else. You cannot serve God and your family. You cannot serve God and your career. And this is the bargain that Christ offers. In fact, one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells, called the parable, is found in Matthew chapter 13. And let me give you a summary of that short parable, that story. It's about a story of a man who uh, one day discovers treasure that is buried in a field. And uh, he sees immediately, as he uncovers the treasure, he immediately and instinctively sees the unsurpassable worth of this treasure. So much so that he reburies it, and then the story says, with great joy. Great joy, he runs off and sells everything he owns so he could buy the field that contains the treasure in it. He does it with great joy, and, and Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. In other words, one application of that story, of, of this bargain, is that, that, the point I'm making is this. Nobody, if they truly understand who Jesus is, if they truly understand the call of Jesus on their lives, nobody should ever begin the, their Christian life moaning about all the things you have to give up in order to follow Jesus. Right? Because if you do that, that means you still think there is treasure somewhere else. This, Jesus is not the treasure of unsurpassable worth. You are still not willing to sell everything in order to have him. So no one should say, oh, doggone it, man. Now that I'm a Christian, I've got to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. Oh, nobody should say, oh, man, now that I'm a Christian, I have to be open-handed and generous with all my hard-earned money. Oh, man, no. That just means you don't understand the, the great exchange that's going on. And you know what? You are not going to really be able to follow Christ without uh, coming to the place where you're 100% absolutely convinced that treasure doesn't exist anywhere else. And I think that's what the, these disciples understood. It's not until you come to see the futility of all the other treasures in the world. Man, they're just futile and they're worthless, right? That you are willing to sell everything and say, Jesus, you are my only thing. They understood the bargain that Jesus was offering them. L let me give you an illustration just to make this a little bit more real. As many of you know, I have a very kind, very beautiful wife. And if you've ever seen us stand together, uh, some of you have wondered, why in the world did she marry that guy, right? Totally legitimate question. Well, it would be really ridiculous and absurd for me to moan about all the things I had to give up to marry her. Right? Could you imagine this? Man, oh, 
I don't know, you know, marriage, man, that means I can't do whatever I want anymore. That means I I can't just buy anything that I feel like. Gone are the days when I come home after a long day of work and to a quiet and empty house. Gone are the days of like leaving my socks everywhere and nobody tell me to clean up after myself. Gone are the days of eating like mac and cheese out of a box every day. Like, I mean, no. I knew when I married her that there would be a cost right? And there was no way I could continue to be a single guy and still be a good husband. So I knew I'd have to give up my selfishness and become more sensitive and kind and compassionate. And I knew marriage would hurt, right? Because I am not those things. And so God was going to use marriage and Amy to to refine me and, and make me more like Christ. But do you think for one second the moment I proposed to Amy that, uh, that I had any regrets or that, that, any, that, that uh, I, had, I blinked for any moment when I proposed to my wife. No way! It was totally worth it. Why? Because now we're together. I'm with her, right? Uh, was there a cost? Absolutely. But... Because I knew that my way of living single and just the way I want to live was just futile and empty and, and, and all that kind of stuff and that marriage would enrich my life in a way that, that uh, you know, uh, in so many different ways, really, that cost was not even a consideration. It was really not a cost at all to marry her. In fact, I mean, I could say, yeah, it was an honor and privilege. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus wants, us to bring to bring, wants to bring us to a place where you are so tired and weary of doing your own thing, where live, of living your own way and pursuing your own end. It may not happen today. It may happen two years, three, ten years from now. But Jesus is bringing you to that place where you're saying, all the treasure in this world, I'm sick and tired of it. It's really not worth much. In fact, yes, this is the treasure that is unsurpassably worth everything else in comparison. And I'd be glad to willingly give all this up to follow Jesus. And it's only then that God really begins a new work in you. It's only then that God starts to really transform you from the inside out. And if you're still trying to look for treasure here in the world and you are a follower of Jesus, let me tell you this, because I know from personal experience, personal pain, and personal suffering, man, it is going to be a frustrating and miserable Christian life for you. And so for these disciples, no cost was too high because they understood the bargain that Christ was offering them. These disciples didn't understand that many of them would be martyred for him because of Jesus they would lose their own very lives for him. And to them, they would do it all over again. Now, 2,000 years later, I wonder how much more should we stand in just awe and reverence over the incredible bargain that we now have the luxury of looking back to the, to the death and resurrection of Jesus and understanding how much he gave up for us. How much more should we just with great joy want to just stand and shout and just live for Jesus. There's a passage in Hebrews. I'll put up on the, uh, the words up on the screen. And I, I want us to consider this. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings, to us, clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and get this, who for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy that was set before him? You and I. We were the treasure that he was seeking after. And because that was before him, he had so much joy in us. Who for the joy that was set before him, because of us, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So do you get that? Because he, he, because, because he has so much joy in us, he endured the cross. He lost everything for us. And that is why when he tells a story, that man who discovers that treasure of unsurpassable worth, oh man, what did it say? With great joy. Yes, let me go sell everything. Let me, let me lay aside every weight that hinders and let me follow Jesus. And I do that with great joy. There's a cost to it. I have to give up this. I have to submit myself to his lordship. That is not a cost at all. It's an honor and privilege. And so that's what I want to ask you this morning as we start this series. Right? In light of the fact that Jesus was murdered for you on the cross, that he died in your place and your sins were washed in his blood, are you responding with great joy to live for him, to serve him, and to become more like him? Are you willing to give all you have to just know Jesus personally and intimately? Are you willing to lay aside all other treasures and day after day, week after week, to come and experience the fact that, Jesus, you are that treasure of unsurpassable worth? This is the beginning of the great invitation for us. This is what we're going to be walking through through this series and as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, this constant call of follow me, follow me. So that's what we're going to do today. In a few moments, we're going to respond in singing and song and music. But before that, first Sunday of each month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken and given for you. He took wine and poured it out and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins shed for you. And he told his disciples to do this in remembrance of him. And so part of the way we, we're going to respond today is to do that. If you're a follower of Jesus and you want to say, God, Jesus, I want you to be my ultimate treasure. We invite you to, to, to come